630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, what a day it is for Canadian sports. Yes, we will talk Oilers a little bit later on in the show. But right now, it's all about Larry Walker, the pride of Maple Ridge, B.C., the pride of Canada. You might want to turn up your radio just a tad here as I play this audio. Larry Walker gets the call to the hall, finally. to uh, clarify what was said right before the cheer it was i'm i'm calling to inform you that this year you did not fall short gets just over 75 percent of the vote larry walker is the second canadian to go into the baseball hall of fame he's the ninth montreal expo and uh, very pleased to be joined by someone who uh, knows a lot about montreal expos baseball and uh, saw a lot of larry walker not only as an expo but as a as a colorado rocky and and to end his career as a st louis cardinal it is former television play-by-play voice of the montreal expos he's the current play-by-play voice on tv for the miami marlins Dave Van Horn joins us. Dave, uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, I know we just set this up about 20 minutes ago, and I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. It's pretty exciting, and it's a great day, of course, for Canadians everywhere. And I think, uh, obviously, for one Larry Walker, a terrific day. He wasn't sure about it. A lot of people weren't sure. A lot of people considered him a borderline player as far as uh, induction into the Hall of Fame. But uh, he goes in with Derek Jeter, who happens to be my boss here in Miami. (laughs) And so Derek Jeter goes in uh, falling one vote short of a unanimous uh, vote into the Hall of Fame. But the story is Larry Walker. Uh, We didn't hear a whole lot about Larry Walker uh, back in the early 80s. And I'll tell you why. Because for the most part, and most Canadians know this, well, he was a hockey player. Didn't take up baseball until uh, he was 16, 17 years old. And by 1985, uh, the Expos had signed him, and he broke in in the minor leagues. He wasn't there for very long. Uh, he made it to the big leagues uh, for a cup of coffee, 20 games in 1989. And then his career took off uh, starting in 1989 and We were fortunate enough to watch him play every single day for seven years uh, before he went over to Colorado. So uh, I am really happy for Larry, and I am happy that I got a chance to see those formative years of Larry at the major league level developing into a Hall of Fame player. And before we talk, we're going to talk a lot about Larry Walker here, but that one person who did not vote for Derek Jeter, we should find that person and ask him why not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm always dismayed when that happens, why somebody feels that they have to use a very precious vote, a vote for the Hall of Fame, and they have to use that to make a personal statement. Yeah. Uh, in the past, we've heard we've heard some voters say, uh, "No, I never vote for anybody on the first ballot." Well, that uh, 
can be shot down quickly and easily. Uh, I think that in, in this particular case, I don't know who the voter is that, that didn't vote for him, but it almost makes me think that voter wanted to shine a spotlight on himself rather than on the baseball player. And sadly, it happens too much in the media business when someone has a vote for something, whether it's awards or Hall of Fame. But um, I'm glad they got the Larry Walker thing right. That, that's what we're talking about tonight. It, yeah, go ahead, Dave. Is, is it? Isn't that terrific, though? And and uh, Larry uh, goes in with uh, with Derek Jeter, so it'll be a great day in Cooperstown. A great day for Canadians, uh, for sure. Uh, Larry Walker, who makes his home now here in, in South Florida, uh, he'll be on his way up to, I believe, New York. I don't know if he's headed to Cooperstown uh, tomorrow, but Cooperstown or New York, one or the other. I know that uh, he, he'll be making an appearance up there along with uh, Derek Cheater. And uh, it's a big, big day for Larry and a big day for Canadian uh, baseball fans everywhere. And both players kind of played the same way as far as the way they attacked the baseball defensively. I, we know uh, Derek Jeter was a was a good hitter, but when we talk about Larry Walker, he had he had it all. He had power. He had uh, he could hit for, uh, you know, he could he could hit uh, all of the ball all across the wherever you wanted to place in the, in the ballpark. But when it came to defense, these two players played the same way, and they just went after the baseball. Larry was without a doubt, and I. I've broadcast major league games now for 51 seasons. This year will be number 52 for me. Larry was the best instinctive baseball player I've ever seen. He had a great natural feel for the game, remembering that as a youngster, he grew up playing hockey, not baseball. But he had such a great feel for the game of baseball, the way the game would flow. He was not only an outstanding defensive outfielder, as everybody knows, had a strong arm, could cover a lot of ground, but instinctively he came up with other things. He, he was the first outfielder to really perfect the move in, in right field of showing the hitter that he was going to catch the ball when he knew the ball would be over his head and off the wall. And he took some extra bases away from a lot of hitters by playing a ball like that. On the base paths, I can't remember him ever making a mistake. I'm sure he would uh, tell us about the times he got thrown out on the base paths, but, boy, they were far and few between. He was a, a terrific base runner and probably the best of his era. And uh, unfortunately for Larry, in, in his last year as an expo, 1994, when the team had the best record in Major League Baseball, Larry was hurt that year, and he missed 90 games. But in the 103 games he played in, he hit 322 with 19 homers and 86 runs batted in. That's not bad for a guy who's injured. <laughs> no. He, he, missed, he missed a lot of time that year, but the, he, he was a part of the, the 94 team, the, the best team that uh, the Expos ever put on the field joined by dave van horn former television play-by-play -play voice for the montreal expos and now is the uh, miami marlins play-by-play -play voice he's been uh, since 2001 right uh, you've been the voice of the marlins i i've been i've been broadcasting marlins baseball on the radio uh this will be my uh, 20th season uh joined them in uh, 2001 so the 2000 season was my last year in montreal 
You know, Larry Walker's next team after Montreal was the Colorado Rockies, and he won yes. an MVP award in 1997. He won the, the home run race uh, that year as well. Um, but that's where the debate seems to be about Larry Walker because he played at Coors Field, and it's a hitter's paradise there. And But you look at his numbers uh, overall. He had 383 uh, home runs. He had over 1,300 RBIs. He was batting over 300. He has five all-star appearances, seven gold gloves, three silver sluggers, three batting titles. That can't just be because he played in the hitter's ballpark. It, it's got to factor into it, but um, it kind of drives me a little bit nuts that people discredit Larry Walker because he played in Colorado. Well, uh, it, it did me as well, and it does a lot of people. Uh, Nobody said that Ted Williams was Ted Williams because he played in Fenway. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody has made comments about uh, the players that have played at uh, Yankee Stadium, which had a short fourth. And uh, Coors is Coors. And, and, and Larry excelled not only in Coors, but on the road as well. So I, I think that uh, Larry Walker's admission into the Hall of Fame is going to change a lot of thinking now uh, by a lot of people. Larry had a terrific, of course, he won several batting titles. He had a 348 batting average in his home park for 10 years. That was Coors. But he hit 278 on the road. He hit uh, just under 170 home runs, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, while on the road, hitting 215 uh, at home. That included his... Montreal totals as well as uh, the, uh, uh, the the Rockies, but I, I think that it's a fallacy. I think people got caught up in that whole Coors Field thing and have punished a lot of players for that. Um, and they they don't talk about players who play in other ballparks that are certainly favorable to left or right hand hitters or hitters in general. So. Uh, maybe this will put that to bed. When you look around Major League Baseball now, where do you see the influence as far as uh, players from Canada and, and just the influx of Canadian baseball players into Major League Baseball? And I'll, I'll throw a name right now. Mike Soroka was, uh, I believe, a second-team All-Star this year, and he's out of Calgary, and he's a fine pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. Well, Soroka, uh, yes, ter a terrific young talent, and uh, he's he's, uh, he's still on the rise too. He's, he's going to develop. Uh, he's already developed into a very good, talented pitcher, and I think Mike is uh, also going to raise uh, his level of play, and he'll be he'll be one of the dominant uh, pitchers certainly in the National League, if not in all of Major League Baseball. But I, I think uh, things are on the upswing. Uh, in, in regard to young Canadian players, a lot of the issues have to do with the short baseball season for many of them. And uh, in, in the United States, there's an advantage where players now that are young ball players that show promise in their early teens or some even before that uh, play all year round. Uh, I'm not in favor of that, by the way. I'm in favor of... Uh, uh, seeing young people participate in multiple sports, mm -hmm. and you need to get away. If if hockey is your sport, and you find a way to play it all year round, that's fine. But you've you've got to give some time to other sports to get yourself out of the rink and uh, and onto another format. And the same is true here in the states, where these young players that are playing 
all year round, uh, they get burned out in their in their teams uh, because it's too much baseball, and they they need to turn to play a little bit of soccer or football or basketball, something else uh, to take a break from baseball, and uh, and I, I hope that that happens. But in regard to the Canadian, the young Canadian players. Uh, they've got more and more indoor workout facilities now where they can practice baseball longer. And I, I think we'll see more and more. I think we'll see more and more Canadian players uh, on some of the good uh, the United States uh, college teams. Yeah, and it's also good, too, that the, that the Olympics has, adopted or has brought back baseball, too. So that's only going to help baseball in Canada even more. There's no question about that. So uh, there is uh, certainly it, it's, it's wonderful to see uh, Larry go in. Uh, I know that uh, there, there are many in the in, in the baseball world that are extremely happy for him. Uh, probably none more so than Ferguson Jenkins. But uh, I think in the in the not too distant future, we'll we'll see more and more Canadians play to the level where they too will be considered for the. Hall of Fame at Cooperstown. Dave, this was a treat tonight to talk to you again. Thank you so much on short notice for agreeing to come on Inside Sports and uh, reflect on a, on a great day for Canadian baseball and for Major League Baseball. Larry Walker's finally in the hall where he belongs. Thank you very much, Dave. That's Dave Van Horn, longtime play-by-play voice for the Montreal Expos. He's the current play-by-play voice for the Miami Marlins. That is very, very cool. Uh, Larry Walker, second Canadian to reach the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, the first, of course, being Ferguson Jenkins, the ninth Montreal Expo to enter into the Hall of Fame. Or uh, let's say Baseball Hall of Fame's to have worn an Expos uniform. Let's do it that way. Gary Carter... Andre Dawson, Vladimir Guerrero, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, Tony Perez, Tim Raines, Lee Smith, and now Larry Walker. Now, Larry Walker has a decision to make on which cap he wants to go in with. I mean, Guerrero chose the Dodgers, or the Angels, I think, the LA Angels. So, ah, that one hurt a bit. But uh, I believe the last one, the last player to go into the hall uh, and with an Expos cap, I believe that was Tim Raines. So, uh, great day for Canada. So happy for Larry Walker. Humble guy and I mean, the shirt he was wearing, Kellen, tonight, Kellen Kennedy across the glass. See his shirt he was wearing today? It's like a SpongeBob SquarePants racing NASCAR yeah. crew top thing, which <laughs> I thought was really cool. And, of course, uh, you know, there was a documentary that came out last year, too, that was kind of the head-to-head, the year that uh, Walker lost, right. I think, Canada's greatest athlete. or the, uh, the Lou Marsh or whatever it was yeah. to Villeneuve, right? Yeah. And that's always been hotly contested. Should have Should Villeneuve have got that award or should have gone to Walker. I side on Villeneuve's side in that debate myself, but that's just because I'm a racing fan as well. But <laughs> you know what I mean. But this is great for Canadian baseball and, and great for just a, a all-around character of the sport, too. Larry Walker, one of the best interviews in MLB history, in my opinion. A really decent character, for sure. Yeah, no question. I believe, I don't know if it's a direct quote, but it's pretty close. Larry Walker's reaction to Jacques Villeneuve winning the Lou Marsh was, well, I got beat by an engine. Yeah. And you know, and I know that's not true. That's not true. There's a lot of skill that goes into being a race driver, especially and, that year on the F1 circuit too. Yeah. That fist fight between uh, Schumacher and Villeneuve all season was incredible. Schumacher's a rat. <laughs> anyway, this is about Larry Walker today. So, uh, Larry Walker, the call to the hall. He's going to Cooperstown, folks, and it's awesome.
Larry Walker going to the Baseball Hall of Fame. His uh, career numbers, career stats, average 313 hitter, a 400 on-base percentage, a 565 slugging percentage, 383 home runs, 230 homers, and a war of 72.7. What war is, and I had to look this up uh, today as well, but it's basically the value to your team. So what that says is what overall he helped his team win about 73 games right. a season, right, on his own. That That's what that stat basically re- it refers to. I'm trying to figure out what the equivalency would be in hockey for that, just to, like, oh, the, like pro- the stat. Probably points percentage. I yeah, guess, sure. Or percentage of team points. Yep. That probably would be the only one for me. Mm. Um, I saw this uh, stat as well. Um, where is it? It's here somewhere. I knew it. Okay, I'm going to have to look it up. But the uh, career on base plus slugging, which uh, factors in the ability of a player to get both on base to hit, uh, to get on base and to hit for power. Two important offensive skills. And Larry Walker is fourth on the list all time in Major League Baseball history in that stat. Here it is right here. Larry Walker had a 965 OPS. In front of him, Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle. Those guys were good. 977, Ted Williams, 1.116, Babe Ruth, 1.164. Wow. That's a good list. They say, and the the stats people say, if you're over 900 on this stat, that means you're an exceptional hitter. So don't tell me that's just because of Coors Field. Canada's greatest baseball player at the moment? Absolutely. Yeah, hands down. Absolutely. No question. News is next. We come back. A little bit more Larry Walker chat. Then we'll chat about the Pacific Division. There is a team playing tonight in a Pacific Division. Yes. They're not all on a break. Most are. Vegas Golden Knights are not. We'll update that that game as well, and we'll head to Vancouver and uh, chat with Andrew Walker. Not a Hall of Famer, technically, but a Hall of Famer in my book. He's uh, from Sportsnet 650 out on the West Coast. It's Campbell in for Wilkins on 630 Chat Inside Sports. It is Dave Campbell and for Reed Wilkins. Should mention Reed is off this week because of the Oilers bye week. Oilers will be back on Monday, this coming Monday. They'll have an open practice at West Edmonton Mall and an autograph session from 6 to 8. And I can tell you we're going to be there too. Show's going on the road. Nice. Down at WEM or West Edmonton Mall. So he'll be... Dodging pucks as they're fired at him at practice for once. Or dodging autograph seekers. Or dodging autograph seekers. Yeah. I don't know which don't is worse. <laughs> I don't know for him. I mean, if you want to have an autograph signed by Wilkie, Wilkie will do it. He'll even. Oh, he's him. a good guy. Yeah. He'll take a selfie with you and he'll have the Wilkie face, which is trending. Uh, world famous. 
yes, it's trending. Trending across North America as we speak. Exactly, exactly. So uh, that's uh, when the Oilers get back on the ice. They get back on the ice in a game situation a week tomorrow against the Calgary Flames. Six o'clock is the uh, face-off show, an extended edition. They will drop the puck at Rogers Place, Oilers and Flames at 8 o'clock. NHL scoreboard tonight. There is one team in the Pacific Division that is playing. That is the Vegas Golden Knights. They're in Boston to play the Bruins. The Knights are up 2-1 to one in that game. Mark Stone, his 18th, and Nicholas Haig, his first of the season on the power play. Jeremy Lozon, his first of the season for the Boston Bruins. If Vegas wins tonight, they will be in first place in the Pacific Division. They will leapfrog the Calgary Flames and the Oilers. They have 57 points. They will leapfrog the Vancouver Canucks, who are currently in first place in the Pacific. Uh, one point up on the Oilers and Flames. Oilers right now technically in second spot in the Pacific. So if Vegas wins, that I believe will knock the Oilers down to third spot. And Calgary down to a wild card. And uh, they would be joining the Arizona Coyotes in a wild card spot. Winnipeg playing tonight as well. And uh, they are just uh, outside the cut line. They have 54 points, Arizona and Vegas and Calgary and the Oilers have 57 points. Uh, and right now they're getting, uh, they're getting beat by a score of 3-1 in the second. Uh, line A, the only goal score for the Jets is 17th. Martin Nikosh, his 12th. Justin Williams, his first goal since coming back to the Hurricanes not too long ago. First goal of the season on the power play. Tivo Teravainen, his 10th of the season. Elsewhere, the Penguins and Flyers are tied 0-0. The Hawks are in action tonight as well. Should bring them into the playoff mix as well. They're tied with the Jets with 54 points there at home to the Florida Panthers, who beat the Minnesota Wild last night uh, in dramatic fashion, uh, 5-4. They won the game basically in the final minute. And that keeps the Wild at 50 points, and they are definitely got a lot of work to do. You can text in at 630-630. No, you can't do that. That's retro. You can text in at 4960063. That's right. 4960063. That is the number. That is the correct number. That is the correct number. That comes right to us. That's right. You can call or text us on that number. Want to talk about Larry Walker, Oilers, whatever you want to do. That's fine. Uh, Larry Walker has the uh, sixth highest uh, two-year jump in Hall of Fame voting at 42.5%. And in fact, and I mentioned this on uh, 6.32 afternoons with Jay Lynn at 5.20 that Larry Walker four years ago had only 15% of the vote. So that, that's incredible. The uh, highest voting percentage among Hall of Fame inductees, Mariano, Mariano Rivera, 100%. Derek Jeter, 99.7%, because some goofball decided not to vote for him. Which we think it might be in Boston. We're not sure. Yeah, we're not sure. We're, we're you know. Ken Griffey Jr., uh, 99.32%. Tom Seaver, 98.84%. Nolan Ryan, 98.79%. Cal Ripken, 98.53%. Larry Walker, of course, I think it was 75.6% of the vote. Listen to this. Walker signed with the Expos as an amateur free agent as a 17-year-old in 1984. And that was five years before Canadians were first eligible for the Major League Baseball draft. Wow. And this scrawny kid, because he was a scrawny kid at one point. uh, I have it here. His first game in Montreal... Uh, August 16th, 1989, he walked twice, recorded a single in his first official at bat off of Mike Lacoste of the 
San Francisco Giants. In 1992, he finished fifth in National League MVP voting. So he's into the hall, folks. He's into the hall. So we're talking about the uh, Pacific Division in the Western Conference playoff race. Uh, Brian Texan. <laughs> Vegas is now on my crap list. Can't believe they let Gallant go. Right behind the Leafs and Flames. I hope they crater big time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't get this rash here. Like, it worked out great for uh, St. Louis last year of, of you know, brand, getting a brand-new coach in there and yeah. getting a thing. I think you're going to see a bunch of teams try this and fail miserably now. Yeah. I think that's going to be the trend. And I did not expect Las Vegas to be, you know, that one of the first teams to try this. But it yeah. is, ugh, well, well, wait to be seen, right? But The pressure to win is uh, eh. huge in that market clearly in that organization they lost four in a row they made the move it was a surprise move to a lot of people including myself and they bring in peter DeBoer, who is a different kind of cat he's a he's more of a guy that'll that'll kind of lean on you more than gallant who's a player's coach and hey a lot of gms do that if if the hardliner isn't working i'm going to get the coach with a soft glove if the soft mm-hmm. glove isn't working i'm going to get someone that's going to be more of a hardliner well we know that there's pressure here to win Hasn't gone very well lately, but the Oilers in a position to make a playoff uh, to make the playoffs. The Canucks are as well, and uh, let's go to Vancouver. Sportsnet 650's Andrew Walker. Andrew, it's been a while. Nice to have you on the show. How you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, it has been a while, and and uh, timing is great. I mean, the Battle of Alberta is is huge, but who knows? Maybe maybe soon enough, this uh, Edmonton Vancouver rivalry will be. Uh, will be reinvigorated as well, maybe even playing in the playoffs. Who knows? Yeah, because that's the only time that the Oilers can play uh, or the two teams can play each other again is in the playoffs. Uh, they're, they're done. They finished on uh, they finished their series on December the 23rd. Um, and the Oilers, uh, they have games against the Flames. They have other divisional games. They got the Knights three times. Uh, but I remember talking to you around this point last year. I think it was after the All-Star break when uh, the Oilers had their bye week after the break this year. They have it before the break like the Canucks do and uh, the 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 situation was rather bleak for both franchises um, the fact that they had to play around I don't know 700 hockey to to try and make the playoffs they had to climb over teams you look at them now and it's nothing is is set in stone because this this race is crazy this division is absolutely crazy right now but um, obviously the mood a lot different uh, you know almost 365 days later yeah, I, I think that um, you know people are still cautiously optimistic in Vancouver. I think that's um, that's just reality when you're coming out of a rebuild, right? You're used to things uh, going wrong, and I think that um, I think you know Oiler fans saw this too. You're so used to having that that comfort zone of the draft lottery that a lot of fans are. You know what? You're you're afraid to be good. You're afraid to compete because. You might kind of from a fan perspective, not a team perspective, but um, you're you're afraid to to be put in in situations where a loss will actually hurt, and you can't slough it off as as a good thing. Um, so it's been interesting, but I, I think with Vancouver, there's been a couple of a couple of factors that have really changed everything, and and one of them was was Quinn Hughes, who uh, has been far better um, and even playing 26, 27 minutes a night mm-hmm. some nights, far, far better than we would have anticipated. Um, JT Miller, I, I, I can't help but 
but wonder if you know the JT Miller move for Vancouver is one of those moves that um, the Oilers have been looking at for years, which would make such a big difference. Depth scoring on a on a great contract, you know, you give up something to to get something, it ends up working out in your favor. And then the other one is is Jacob Markstrom, who has really solidified himself as uh, I think a top ten NHL netminder. He's been lights out for well over a calendar year now, and. Hey, you show me a, a team that's happy with the record. You show me a team that's going to the playoffs. I'll show you a good goaltender. It, you know, it's it's amazing. You know how often it comes down to that. You know, and and I referenced this site uh, last night on the show, and you know I don't reference it often, but at this time of year, um, it's fun to go to this site. It's called Club Sports Stats, and I'm sure you've frequented <laughs> yeah. a few times there as well. An excellent site, uh, millions and millions upon millions of simulations. Uh, the Oilers are at 81 percent. I see the Canucks at 90 percent, and what strikes me the most about uh, about uh, what that site is predicting, I remember last year, and I referenced it earlier in the interview where. Uh, the Oilers had to play, and the Canucks had to play like a ridiculous pace of uh, of hockey. You know, they had they had to win, you know, seven seventy percent of their games or close to it, even to make the playoffs. And they had to climb over teams. You look at it now, and you know they they can kind of play. Not that they want to play at this clip, but you know, fifty two, fifty three percent winning percentage. Uh, you know, five fifteen, five twenty hockey. It's almost like both teams at this point, and they don't want to do this necessarily, but they're kind of afforded a bit of cushion here even though the conference is nuts right now and the division is nuts but it's almost like they have to hold serve right now and as long as they hold serve they're good yeah i it's a it's a very very slight cushion because you know how it is you know you, you win three four in a row and it feels like you're maintaining you lose two in a row and all of a sudden you're outside looking in uh, i think both these teams who are in similar situations and wanted to get back to the playoffs you, you want to bank as many points as you can right now and take advantage of, of playing well right now, and they both are, Vancouver and, and Edmonton, that you put yourself in a position, whether it's you know, 25, 20, 15 games to go, where you can, you can look at the standing and say, okay, 500. Like we, we don't have to win our way in with a seven-game winning streak. If we go 500 down the stretch, that lets us finish with 94, 95, 96 points. I, I, I think that's... That's the goal. And I, well, one of the reasons I don't like this, this sports club stats is, is it doesn't take into effect reputation, mm-hmm. if, if that makes any sense. Like, I think the big X factor in this whole Pacific wild card race has just been that Vegas is, has not been Vegas. Right. And deep down, we, we still, I think, if you're anything like me, I still expect them to figure it out and 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 eventually be on top of that Pacific Division, and maybe I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I I expect Nashville to, after the coaching change, to figure things out a little bit and win more than they lose down the stretch. And I and and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. It's but that's a reputation thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if websites like that factor factored that in no because like you say an extended losing streak and the variables change very quickly so you're right it's just it's just numbers on a on a website that's all it is right now but yeah well both i'll tell you what both teams are have to be ecstatic right have to be ecstatic about about where where they are um they're going to have meaningful games no matter what down the stretch both teams have put themselves in a position where now it's it's a straight up disappointment if they miss the postseason and speaking of reps, I mean, you know, the Oilers have been kind of that, that other way where, where people will people will pick against them 
until they prove them wrong. And a lot of people were writing, you know, the Oilers off a few weeks ago. And then what do they do? They go into Toronto and win. They go into Montreal and win. They go into Boston and win. They knock off Nashville at home. Uh, Arizona's hot on everybody's tail, and and they they clobbered them last week. So. You know, I, I, have a, I have a lot of respect for what Edmonton's done the last few weeks. Andrew Walker joining us from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver tonight on 630 Chad Inside Sports. So the trade deadline is coming up in about uh, less than five weeks away. Um, we, we've been talking about the, the teams in the race. It's funny, too, but before I talk about the trade deadline, um, it's interesting that people call the Pacific Division the weakest division, and I think there is some merit to it, yet... Right now, five Pacific Division teams are in the playoffs. Um, if the playoffs ended today, that old that old line in sports, which it doesn't, mm-hmm. but it, it almost speaks that there's a lot of cannibalization within the division too, or, or competitiveness as well. That um, uh, you know, it's it changes on a nightly basis. It's going to probably it could change tonight because Vegas is in Boston. Yeah, I I, I don't necessarily agree with with the, the moniker of, of the weakest division, although I would have to say that it's the only division probably without a, a team that we would say is a locked-in Stanley Cup contender. Right. So I think I don't think Vegas is that. Um, Calgary certainly looked like it fit the bill last year, and, and this year something's a little off. I wouldn't want to play the Canucks. I wouldn't want to play the Edmonton Oilers, but... Um, but I, I, I don't see a, a, like a top five Stanley Cup contender in this division. That said, for a team like Evanston, for a team like Calgary, for a team like Vancouver, it, it's if you just find a way in and you're in you know the top three in uh, in the Pacific, you could theoretically see a path to the conference final. That's that's not that difficult. Okay, let's relatively th- speaking. Yeah. yeah, for sure, absolutely. I'm with you. When we talk about the trade deadline, traditionally. The Calgary Flames have been active. The, the Vegas Golden Knights have been active. The Arizona Coyotes made their trailer, Taylor Hall trade. They're going to be an interesting team to watch too, because um, they're hanging around. They're hanging around first in the division, and uh, you know out of the out of the cut line as well. Winnipeg is hanging around that wild card spot. They could factor in if any of the. And you got to think a Pacific Division team is likely going to battle them or for a, a wild card spot or, or two Pacific Division teams or three or four. And we could say the same thing that you know those Pacific Division teams are are battling for the top top of the division. The Oilers could make a deal, although. Ken Holland has proven he's pretty patient at the at the trade deadline as well. If you can't see a move here, what do you think Jim Benny is looking at heading into the trade deadline? Well, I mean, you you do you do have some cap restrictions, which makes things difficult. Um, the assets that you have to give up are not that plentiful because I think they really shot their shot at, at, at the draft in the JT Miller deal. They traded away a, a first, they traded away a third. And you know what? I, I think it was a spectacular deal, um, but it's not like they're going to be trading their, their, their first round pick this year. I think, um, or next year's in, the, in this case, if it's mm-hmm. the conditional, um, but you do have an owner that, that will step in and say, hey, like, you know, we need to go for this. We need to make a splash. You do have a, an, an aggressive guy um, in Francesco Aquilini, which I, you know, I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's better than the alternative and, and someone that's, that's absentee or doesn't care. But I, I don't know. I would not expect the Canucks to, to do anything that, that wows everybody. I could be wrong, but I think you want to 
give your your team at least a a chance or some support. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to add a another depth defensive piece, which. Uh, you know, not not a big name, but it, hey, if you plan on going, you know, if you plan, plan on playing 10, 15, 20 playoff games, you need about eight defensemen, as we know. This team desperately needs another top six winger. They don't grow on trees. Louis Erickson's a big story here right now because he's kind of showing some uh, redemption qualities playing alongside Bo Horvat and being the defensive conscience there. But you get in a seven-game playoff series, um, you, you probably will need someone better than there's Andrew Walker from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver with a trade deadline about uh, less than five weeks away, and the Pacific Division could change again tonight if Vegas hangs on to beat the Boston Bruins. They would be in first place, knocking some other Pacific teams down, Pacific Division teams down, including the Oilers. They would be knocked down to third spot. All right, just uh, about to uh, head to a news break here from the 630 Chet 24-Hour News Centre. Uh, this is not a great story to talk about, but we got to talk about it. The AHL suspended Bakersfield Condors defenseman Brandon Manning for five games for using a racial slur against Ontario Reign left-winger Bokondi Imama. That happened last night in a 3 nothing loss to the Reign. Of course, Bakersfield Condors, the uh, minor league affiliate in the AHL of the Oilers. Manning was assessed a game misconduct and a roughing minor in the second period. Liga's confirmed the misconduct was for using a racial slur towards Imama, who was born in Montreal to parents who immigrated from the Democratic Republic of Cong- Congo. He was given a roughing minor during the same incident. Manning released a statement saying, last night I made comments to an opposing player that were stupid and offensive. After the game, I spoke with the opposing player in person, which I'm very grateful for. He allowed me to apologize and I took full responsibility for what I said. To say I've learned from this situation is an understatement and I promise promise to be better. So Brandon Manning uh, suspended five games by the American Hockey League. When we come back from the news break, um, I can't wait to talk about this documentary that's coming up on the horrific knee injury suffered by Connor McDavid in the final regular season game against Calgary Flames last year when he slid into the post. And it looked terrible. It looked like this was the worst scenario you can imagine for a star player, a superstar at 22 years of age. But he came back, and we see what he's doing now. We'll uh, be joined by Don Metz, who is the director of this project. You're going to hear things that might shock you. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.